Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Come on, we can take them. The, the man said to stay indoors. Ah, fuck the man. Look, as long as they're out there and we're in here, we're safe. The attackers can be stopped by removing the head or destroying the brain. I'll repeat that by removing the head or destroying the brain. Good evening and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Whoa. I'm a Philip Hunter. And I'm Owen Stellini. Welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Yes. Philip. Yes. We've got a special guest with us today. We have a very special guest with us today. We have my sister, Bethany. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Welcome, Bethany. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, welcome aboard. Welcome Welcome aboard. Philip. Yes. What have you been watching since last podcast? I started watching the Netflix special on Ted Bundy. Oh, okay. The movie, not the Bundy Files. Right, so the one with Zac Efron. The one with Zac Efron, yes. So you said you've started watching it. It's a film, so you're only halfway through it? Yes, only halfway through. So we started watching and... We just sort of were like, oh... Bored? This is, no, not bored. Uh, uh, scared? Uh, scared. <laughs> uh, it, again, it's that sort of psychological scaring. It's not like oh, yeah, it's jump terrifying. scares. But it's that, uh, for those who know Ted Bundy, serial killer, but it sort of goes from the wife's or the girlfriend's point of view, and you're sitting there going, oh, God, this is tight. This <laughs> is tough. This is... Oh, Oh, okay. He's horrible. He's nasty. Oh, and we just decided this is too much for nighttime. Yeah. This is a this is a maybe after dinner, not a getting ready for bed. <laughs> so watch, watch during the day. And watch during the follow day. Follow up with a Disney movie. That's yeah. it exactly. Well, that's a really good strategy, and it's funny. It doesn't actually really matter in so far that. I knew a lot about Ted Bundy before mm. watching the Ted Bundy tapes. So mm. I haven't actually seen the film yet. Yep. I do plan to. Yep. But even knowing that I do not in any way fit the profile of Ted Bundy's <laughs> victims still absolutely terrified me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so yep. I can absolutely understand that. Um, yeah. It's amazing how someone as clever and creepy mm. as Bundy can just get into your head yeah. long after he's gone. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bethany, have you been watching anything interesting lately? Um, I've been travelling lately, so I've been watching lots and lots and lots of movies um, on planes. Some Great. good, some so, bad. Yep, so what's the one highlight? Um, one Snakes that on a plane. Really, <laughs> yeah, it really got me in the mood. Uh, no, one that I really enjoyed was one by Peter Jackson, the uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. Mm. It's sort of, it was really cleverly done. It was done with um, BBC and the Imperial War Museum. And they used like a load of old footage and, and photos and whatnot. And then they interviewed a load of old vets and stuff. Mm. And they, they went through the highs and the lows. And like there were bits where I was laughing out loud on the plane. And there were bits where I was like wanting to have a bit of a cry about it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really good. So really it was emotive. Good. Yeah, really emotive. So well worth a watch. Beautiful. Mm, that's and Wayne, how about yourself? Well, Phil, I actually finished last podcast that we did together mm. with Kendall. So we reviewed Beautiful Thing oh, last yes, time. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, we're talking about the history of queer cinema and, and things like that. And talked about how Beautiful Thing was one of the, well, really the first queer film to have a happy ending where no one dies and all of this. And you brought up a really interesting point about how racism isn't an issue for the time and the socioeconomics that it's set in. Mm. 
So it actually had me thinking. I was like, oh, well, I actually forgot to mention a film called My Beautiful Lingerie. And that deals with, obviously, queer relationships during the Thatcher era. Mm-hmm. Um, socioeconomics, but the core relationship is between somebody of a Pakistani background and a white British Ah. background. So racism does come into play. And the film actually focuses more on the politics and socioeconomics than the two boys who are secretly in love. So I think that's why when discussing queer history in British cinema last time, it was totally off my radar. But I revisited that and actually found it quite enjoyable still. Oh, nice. Yep, Daniel Day-Lewis in one of his very early roles. (laughs) We can see why he became a huge star and it was a spunk then and it's still now. But yeah, so I I revisited my beautiful wanderette. But Phil, speaking of British cinema, what are we reviewing today? Today we're reviewing the 2004 Zomrom.com Shaun of the Dead. Tell us about it, Janet. (laughs) Shaun of the Dead is a 2004 romantic horror comedy film directed by Edgar Wright, co-written by Wright and Simon Pegg, and starring Pegg and Nick Frost. Simon Pegg plays Shaun, a directionless Londoner who hits rock bottom socially. After his girlfriend dumps him, and after some self-wallowing with his housemate and best friend Ed, he decides to turn his life around. Sadly, this coincides with a zombie apocalypse. For Sean, this is an opportunity to show everyone how useful he is. All he has to do is survive. And get his ex back. The film was a critical commercial success, being nominated for a BAFTA. It is the first in Wrights and Pegg's Three Flavours Cornetto Trilogy, followed by 2007's Hot Fuzz and 2013's The World's End. Wayne. Yes, Philip. You've seen this movie before, haven't you? I have. It's been a long time. Very long time. What did you think on this revisit? Well, I didn't actually remember a lot of it. There's certain things that I felt like I remembered, but then a lot of this film is now ingrained in pop culture. Uh, But I did have fond memories of it. I remember really enjoying it. As you know, I'm a huge fan of the horror genre, so this is always going to be on my watch list anyway. But it was great revisiting it. It was a lot of fun. I like the style of humour because it is dark humour, which is what I love. Mm. What's good about Shaun of the Dead, though, is that I don't actually think it's laugh-out-loud funny. But it's clever funny. Yes. And I always prefer clever funny to laugh out loud funny. Yes. And it does that really well. It uses horror genre conventions very well. Yes. So a lot of the tropes are there. Very typical. I absolutely do not care. <laughs> <laughs> it uses a lot of the tropes in terms of standard comedy, romantic comedy, and it meshes them all together. So you've got quite a cute, for lack of a better term, mm. unique film. Um, I like that we've all seen zombie films from, you know, Night of the Living Dead right up to The Walking Dead yep. and about 50 million films in between. In between yep. Doesn't add anything new to that genre or that subgenre. Mm. Perfectly okay because, well, why bother? You've got so much <laughs> wonderful dynamics and things going around. It's not that bloody. It's not that gory. But it's written and plotted very well. It almost is... A nothing plot, really. Mm. Like, it's not really about much. 
But again, when you've got a film that meshes and merges three really popular genres together and you've got an incredible likable lead like Simon Pegg, who's Mm. very relatable, like I could relate to him like as a lovable loser, absolutely Mm. relate to him. So you're already with him on this journey and you just want him to succeed whatever that means and whatever that looks like. So overall, I had a lot of fun revisiting this one. Bethany, this is one of your favourites. It is. It's one of my favourite movies. And so it's actually, in a way, hard to comment on because I do watch it and rewatch it <laughs> so often. Um, I'm a big fan of these, these guys' work. I'm a big fan of the whole trilogy. Um, in our household, it's very quotable. It's, yes. it's quoted a lot. Mm. Like, typically, the want anything from the shops, like that's, that gets used far too much in our household. We don't oh, even like Cornetto particularly. No, no, <laughs> one of the shop, Cornetto. I used Living Daylights out of my mum with that one. I just remember when I first watched it, I was sort of mid-teens and it was just unlike anything I'd ever seen before and it sort of opened up a whole new genre of comedy for me because uh, we, we were always into sort of more British comedies anyway. Mm. Um, but like after I saw this, we then got onto things like Robin, Robin Hood Men in Tights. It just sort of... It flowed on to a lot, a lot of other British comedies that I don't think I possibly would have looked at prior to that. And yeah, it's just, it's so funny. It's so clever. I agree with that. It's, it's such a clever movie. And um, I've had a few friends that I've watched it with that I've been, I've really hyped it up and they're just like, oh, I don't get it. <laughs> like, how can you not get it? But anyway, definitely is one of my favourites and I'll continue to rewatch it over and over. And that can be a little disheartening when you love a film so much and, and, and you've got people who don't quite match that enthusiasm. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's difficult though if you've got a film that you're just quoting at nauseam and I know I've got movies like that as well. Yeah. But like I said, it's a, sta- it's a testament to the staying power yeah. in pop culture, I think. Uh, but Phil, you brought this to us for today's Fred Watch. Your thoughts? Yeah, so same with Bethel's. We grew up on this. Yeah. We very much, it, it had staying power in our house. I find it one of these ones, and I actually I haven't done so yet, <laughs> but I'd love to think that I will eventually take on some of the Uh, film techniques that this film actually uses. Mm. I love the quick pace of the editing. I love the way music is used. I love the theming. The linkages as well. The linking, Mm. that's it. So everything within the show starts to mirror itself. Mm. Within the movie, it starts to... You have something that happened at the start repeated, but in the new context, it has a different feeling and meaning. Yeah, it frames the narrative. That's it, that's it. For example, at the start of the film, Yvonne, a friend of Sean's, they bump into each other on the street Mm. and they talk about, oh, how are you doing? Oh, you know, surviving. Just in this sort of playful, what do you do in life sort of way. And they have this conversation. Then later on, they bump into each other again. The exact same words are said, essentially, but now it has different connotations. What are you doing? Uh, surviving. Yeah. <laughs> it's great how the same dialogue can be used again in a different context. Yeah. Can be delivered in a different way, can be seen in a different way. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. There is a lot of that mirroring in terms of the dialogue. Yeah. And some of the action too, I suppose. Yeah, very much um, so. Great use of recurring gags. I love yeah. the it whole... It doesn't overcomplicate itself. No, it doesn't. And this is sort of, I think, what I meant by not really having much of a plot per se, because yeah. it doesn't... 
want to throw everything in in the kitchen sink because it's using a lot from different genres together. That's it. Yeah. And and its actual plot itself, as you say, is simple. So the yeah. very simple basic plot is Sean gets dumped. Sean wants to fix his life. Sean gets caught up in a uh, zombie apocalypse. And that's it. Yeah. And if it was, for example, a romantic comedy only, let's take mm. away the zombies, mm. we could argue Sean, a bit directionless in life, does what he can to get his girlfriend back. Yeah. Done. Let's take up the rom-com. A loser who is struggling in life finds redemption by surviving a zombie apocalypse. Yes. But these are the same films. That's it. And it's they exactly, still work. Yeah. Exactly. And the beauty I find in it, and the reason that even something without a complicated plot, mm. its rewatchability comes from the theming. Yeah. There's a whole bit about Ed sitting in the Winchester with Sean and Sean's just been dumped and Ed turns to him and says come on let's keep drinking we'll do a round of Bloody Mary and then some shots at the bar Mm -hmm. and finish it off at the king's head yeah that portrays the actual movie in a nutshell. Yeah. You have Bloody Mary is the very first zombie they see. Yes. You have shots at the bar, which <laughs> is getting firing Alpha There's at the Winchester, some... and finishing the king's head is killing off Philip. Yeah. <laughs> There's some really clever foreshadowing throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Think, I think the whole trilogy, in a way, doesn't take itself too seriously, and that's what's so funny for me. Oh, it's beautiful. Those little nods to itself. And even as you look at the whole trilogy, you know, them repeating those gags, but in, in slight variations of it, just... It's brilliant. It's beautifully done. It really is. So one of the things Bethany's referring to here is there's a... So yes, this is a trilogy made by the same people. They're not interlinked universes. No, not at all. And there's this gag, for example, there's this gag of jumping over the fences. Mm. In Shaun of the Dead, he goes to jump over the fence and it collapses. Yeah. In the Hot in Hot Fuzz, the character that Simon Pegg's plays is so much more energetic and athletic, and he's a police officer that's the best at his job. So he pole vaults over these fences with ease. Yes. In the third one, Simon Pegg's character is this again, this sort of rundown, pathetic man. And from memory, he just runs into the fence and collapses. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even make it over the fence. <laughs> but well, the three shots are done exactly the same in each movie. Well, it's that sort of repetition and familiarity within a franchise. And I know these aren't, as you've said, connecting universes or anything. Mm. But, you know, they're the same makers. They're repeating structures and gags mm. because that's what fans enjoy. Mm. It's seeing how is it going to be done differently. You think you know what might happen. But it happens differently and it is still a throwback. Mm. So I think the gags, if we're just looking at Shaun of the Dead, work incredibly well. And as you said, like the foreshadowing, Bethany, is just Mm. done so well. I mean, as as simple as you've got a bit of red on you is lovely. And that line is said multiple times. And every time it's said, the red grows on him. So just little things like that, I think is why the film is so clever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, that's a gag that you wouldn't particularly say is funny at all, really. No. In any if, way. If that was said on a, a stand-up route, it's not a gag at all. No, exactly. It's probably only funny when Sean's mum says, oh, you got a bit of red on you, because, <laughs> hey, she's simplifying blood splatter. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, it it's is clever. wonderful when it happens in real life, though, and you say to someone, 
like you know you got red on you, you, yeah. yeah that you know likes the movie you just casually walk up you got red on you <laughs> it's true. a very satisfying feeling yeah. it is so I was mentioning just before the the editing styles and mm. stuff. So one of the beauties this does is it does these little montages for links. Yes. So to get you from one room to the other, instead of just cutting and assuming mm. people can catch up, it actually will do, for example, there's a scene in the morning where it shows him doing his teeth, going to the loo, doing his teeth, uh, doing up his tie, grabbing a cup of coffee and... All in the space of five seconds. Yes, exactly. Just little images. And to me, that not only enhances the pace and, and, and the energy in the film, but it lets the audience travel along without having huge bits. We don't have to see him brush his teeth. Absolutely. To I was saying that it also links into what Wayne was saying before about him being such a relatable character. Yeah. You know, he's not this superhero that's doing these amazing things. He's an average Joe getting ready for work. Yeah. Mm. And the way it's presented, because we could miss all that, really. Yeah. Although they didn't need to, even they the way didn't it's, need to show it. Yeah. Even the way that it's done doesn't need to be there. But what it does is it does contribute to the pacing and a visual style that is unique. I love the quick snippets yeah. because it indicates a, a lapse in time. It indicates moving from one room to another. Mm. Yeah, it's done quite uniquely. I haven't really seen it happen very often. These type of quick edits to show time-lapse transitions, you know, they've been done before. Mm. But it works really well in this film. They do it quite a few times. Second half doesn't happen, but that's also because they're stuck in the pub. Yeah. Which is fine. But I love the way that the film is edited. I love the way that it's framed. I love the different camera angles as mm. well. It is shot beautifully. It does help contribute to the pace and to the style. It gives yeah. it quite a unique feeling of it, it I makes think. It makes it a bit fun, though, too. Like, you so. look at the, the whole jukebox scene. Yeah. Like, that's that's. Absolutely classic. Yeah. So with the jukebox scene, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen plays. Yes. And it's one of my favourite Queen songs too. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's so good. And, and just the, you know, the, the gags through, you know, why is Queen playing? Yeah. Kill, kill, kill the Queen. What? Yeah. Yes. Um, and then they have this fight scene, which is choreographed to the music. Yes. And it's a, so goofy it's in done... such a high stakes moment. Yeah. It's so goofy and it just works so well. But not just goofy, it's played to be serious, mm. so it's yet it's still comedic. It's something that wouldn't happen and yet you believe that this is happening. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You're not taken out of the world. You're not taken out no, exactly. of the... No, it works. For, for what it tries to do, it does it successfully. Yeah. And there's been examples of fight scenes to music and sometimes where they contrast or contradict what you think you'd be seeing. Like one of my favorite fight sequences is in face off where there's this huge fight scene and it's done to Judy Garland's over the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like this huge contrast, but it adds such poetic beauty to it, I suppose. Whereas here it's adding comedy to it. I know you're a horror aficionado. (laughs) Well, I'd like to pretend to be. Yes. And, Bethels, I know you enjoy your horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to know, especially from someone who's not a horror fan, mm-hmm. how do you feel that this stacks up in its horror elements? Well, in relation to what it does through the horror genre, uh, similar to what I'd said before, it ticks you know a lot of boxes and there's things that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. It emphasizes comedy a lot to not be a strict horror, but 
again, because it's clever comedy, you could still put it in there quite happily, I think. I think sometimes what people can forget is that just dead straight, flat out horror movies have a lot of humour in them. It's a lot of dark humour, but there is a lot of fun in horror movies for people like me who love horror films, especially slasher movies, which are my favourite subgenre of horror. They're played for laughs. It's scary, yes, Mm. but the kills tend to be so creative and over the top. That's the fun. Yeah, because I know... The drama behind it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that's true of the the Freddy franchise, is it not? Yeah. That's got quite a bit of uh, dark humour in it. Yeah, and the thing is with Freddy Krueger himself is that he's quite campy. Mm. So he does do a lot of puns and so forth. And because he's playing with his victim's dreams, Mm. you can push a lot of fantasy elements in there as well. One of the first slasher films to do creative kills was actually Friday the 13th. So they always refer to the kills as gags, you know, behind the scenes. So how are we doing this gag? Like how you would with with humour, because they're so sort of over the top and they get progressively more creative because, gosh, when you've got 12 films, we've seen (laughs) all the methods before. So, you know, they're altered and they're done different ways. One of the most famous and um, loved deaths in a Friday the 13th film is actually in part eight when our beautiful anti-hero Jason Voorhees is boxing against this prized boxer. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, obviously this boxer is doing a lot of punches. Jason only needs one. And the way it pans out for this poor guy is hilarious. It's like the signature scene of part eight. It's funny. But yeah, it's always played with humour. Now, that's not to say that these films can't be scary. Mm. Trust me, even I watch a Jason film at three in the morning. I get a little nervous. <laughs> can't help but do it. But yeah, as with any horror movie, humour is invoked in it. And I think because if humour isn't involved, it's too dark. Yeah. Like even some of the most sadistic films, if you will, or notorious films for being really dark and edgy have elements of humour. Shaun of the Dead plays it more yeah. because it is intentionally a horror comedy. Yes, yes. Yeah, so in terms of being a horror movie, it does a lot right. And mm. it's not even that gory for a zombie film, mm. really. There's that one scene where, you know, the guy's getting torn apart through yeah, the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, had it rough. I found that hilarious when they just sort of burst into his belly and do what they need to do. But yeah, but what did you think about the hell- uh, horror look, element? sort of... Before I go on to that, the, the fact that it is a comedy, I think in some in some ways, and and the 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 way they've portrayed Sean's character, it makes it oddly believable. In that, if we ever were going to have a zombie apocalypse, I wouldn't be surprised if it looked like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, none of us are heroes. Yeah. We're not no, like these superhuman. I mean. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, I think you're right. It's a comedy. We'd fumble but through it. Same, <laughs> it's a comedy, but the same token, I can sit back and watch that and go. Probably not that far off. <laughs> yeah. So for myself, I actually sort of struggled to see it as a horror because you're right, it's not gory, all this sort of stuff. Mm. And most of the horrors I watch, I'm a little bit weird, and I really like the psychological thrillers. Yes. The ones that you do watch late at night and you don't sleep. Yes. <laughs> That's the fun of watching have, them. Yeah. My mum and I have a serious problem. <laughs> and we watch these movies and then don't sleep and then wonder why we did it and then watch them again. Same. So I'm really, I'm really into like, twisted people and how their mind works. I'm really interested in the Ted Bundy one. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just love, I love the psychology of people, I suppose. So 
I struggle to see this as a horror in and of itself for just for that reason that mm. more horrors I watch are more sort of thriller based and it's too funny to be a horror for me. Yeah. And you're right. It's not gory enough, really. Yeah. Well, for a zombie flick especially. But yeah. I think then that allows it to be accessible to people who wouldn't necessarily yeah. normally watch gory films. Well, that's it too. Yeah. Is when I've introduced people to this movie... I've been like, oh, it's a zombie movie, but it's, you know, zombie comedy. And I've been, oh, I don't like horrors. And I'm like, no, you, you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. You think of, like, a however long episode of Walking Dead is, what, yes. 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. That's probably got more gore in it than this whole movie does. Oh, really. absolutely. Yeah. One episode yeah. of Walking Dead, half mm. an episode of Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. You've, already, you've already, yeah, yeah. outdone this. Yeah. So. And even other zombie films before before this mm. like i find night of the living dead which was made you know on a very small budget mm. in black and white mm. almost gonzo style filmmaking mm. the first time i watched that was late at night on community tv hey channel 31 <laughs> <laughs> but it terrified me yeah. yeah yeah like absolutely terrified me and it set the genre for, for zombie films and yeah that is even scarier and to some degree gorier too i suppose yeah yeah so i'm actually just curious um and i might just ask uh you philip since you don't tend to dabble in horror as much as <laughs> bethany and myself you saw this when you're uh, a bit younger yeah so this is when i guess you're being introduced to different styles of films and yeah. so forth so this particular one didn't give you an urge to source out horror movies or was it because the comedy was that strong you saw it more of a comedy than a scary film yes so that's a, a very interesting question because you're right i even though i really enjoyed this i never then sought out the george romero yeah uh, films they're based on yeah he's a scaredy cat i'm a scaredy cat yeah when i watched them so i watched actually watched those movies a lot later with mikey lister right he introduced me to them yeah and i didn't find the zombie movies that scary Mm. so i think in terms of horror zombies and it might be just because of Shaun of the dead having desensitized me in that sense or or given me another way to look at it over zombie movies for me have never been scary they've been exciting yes but it's the other things that when you have things that jump out or things that like for me yeah he's not good at jump scares (laughs) i watched nightmare on elm street yes um with mikey lister and i could not cope with that for the simple idea that you have no control yes sort of thing a zombie movie you can take control in the sense of yes you might be overwhelmed but unless you're dealing with the fast zombies you can arm yourself you can try to do what you can yeah it's almost as if it's it's almost as if if you fail at a zombie movie Mm. you weren't doing enough to not fail at the zombie movie. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I actually found quite amusing in this film in relation to the to our protagonists and the zombies themselves mm. is that they do take the mickey out of how slow zombies are yeah, yeah. because they will stop and have full-on conversations and debates and arguments yeah. while zombies are approaching. A shuffling or whatever. Yeah, but we watch other zombie stories. The zombies move quite fast mm. and mm. famously The Walking Dead. Yeah. You know, it's difficult mm. for anyone 
anyone to escape in one piece or yeah. to, to survive the it, gestation of the whole series. Whenever people start talking about zombies, I find that the first question is, what sort of zombies are we talking? Yeah. Yes. Which and is interesting always, because... Sorry, yeah. sorry. No, yeah, because yeah, um, uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg were actually asked at one point, why did you choose slow zombies over fast zombies? Yeah. And uh, Simon Pegg said... Because death is not a boost drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. But for me, the idea of zombies is never... One zombie by itself is not a problem. No. But the scary thing Hordes. about zombies is the horde. It's not, can you kill a handful of zombies? Yeah. It's, can you run away from a horde of zombies? Well, I found... It's the overwhelming... Yeah, well, it's funny though. These folks here don't seem too overwhelmed no this is true because <laughs> i feel like that sean is probably and correct me if i'm wrong the only character in a zombie movie to jump into a crowd of zombies and just oh, yeah. run away in one piece what unscathed was it? gave him the slip yeah they, they have some serious plot armor <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, no that's covered off in the extras in the dvd extras oh yeah they there's talk a, about how so- how Sean escapes and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, yes, fun... but if you need There's... an extra to explain it, have That's you done it. the oh, job well enough? Done. There are it's some so fun dark. little um, animations on the DVD yeah, bonus is... which explain the sort of... It's, it's like the end of Diane an 80s... as well. It's yeah. like the end of an 80s movie yeah. when they do the, you know, so-and-so be- went on to become... <laughs> yes. Well, and again, this is it not taking itself too seriously no, exactly. and saying, okay, well, I suppose since the film's release... People have questioned uh, this because yeah. fans will, you know, oh, dissect yeah. and pull oh, apart yeah. and just absolutely love it and theorize like, all right, well, let's address this. Yeah. Nothing wrong with and, it. And funny you say about, you know, they're obviously not that smart and not that concerned because the extra thing for Sean is that he talks about having jumped into there and fought some of them off. I started to run away from them to lure them away. I then realized that I had to walk. <laughs> because oh, because he kept going get, too fast. He kept going yeah, too fast for them. Love it. Um, and then, yeah, they sort of, when he comes back around, he, yeah. one of them sees him and blah, blah, blah. But still. Same with, um, is it Diane? Yeah, Diane has a bit of a, tree yeah, he, she hides up a tree, that, so she, she actually ate, survives. Bit, yeah, she <laughs> up a tree and she ate David's leg or something. Something like that, that, yeah. Going back a step. Yeah. Um, to you and your sort of, I suppose, relationship with this movie, we we discussed, oh, it would have been years ago now, the fact that you've, you've said before, out of all of the, you know, horror, apocalyptic type things that could happen, you could see zombies being a legitimate thing. Maybe not zombies as, as zombies, but some sort of like yeah, virus it, it, or whatever. You're not going to get actual vampires. You're not yeah. going to get... So uh, I wonder, but I wonder if that's how you also rationalise being ideal with this movie in that you're quite a logical person. Mm. And from this, you actually, I believe it was from this movie you developed your zombie apocalypse plan. <laughs> yes, yes. It's written on paper and everything. It exists. Of course it does. Of course it does. Most yeah. people, most nerds have a zombie plan. And... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. No, but yeah, that, I, that, I know what you're saying. That, that came from this movie. Yeah, so, so the, yeah, the idea that I can deal with a zombie horror over other is maybe because, yeah, I'm able to rationalize it, it out, and yeah. logic it a bit more. Yeah. Whereas... And does it sort of catch off, Phil? Does it go back to your initial comment about control? You yeah. at least feel like... There's a fighting chance. That's it. I'd have no control over uh, Jason or Freddy. 
I'd have no control, no chance against a vampire What's or... What's the one with Will Smith in it? There's not I Am Legend. I Am Legend. Yeah. Like, you know, I Am Legend, yeah. we're all screwed. I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. have no chance in that world. Yeah. And whilst, okay, it's a minimal chance, <laughs> I've got a chance, I've theoretically got a chance in a zombie world. Of course, you've got a plan in everything. And again, again, zombie, again, it zombie land. To, it comes back to um, Simon Pegg's relatability as well. You know, we yeah. can all go... Oh, well, you know, if he, if he knew did it, it, I could do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's in it. Take away his plot armor. Though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, one last thing that I'd like to have a quick chat about is a lot of the movies we watch have some form of message in terms of social class yeah. uh, relations, be it race relations or uh, gender equality, etc., etc. So, what I have found is that Edgar Wright's films are at least the Cornetto Trilogy do similar sort of things in the background. I'd like to have a chat about that and first see, Wayne, whether mm. you were able to pick up or what your thoughts as to what they may be. Yeah, I have to say for me in this particular film, and I think it's because I was having a lot of fun with it, mm-hmm. that I wasn't reading too much into it, mm-hmm. which I know is very unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes, I know. It's very unlike me because I know in some of the films that we've talked about, we'll take a tiny moment and just debate and argue yeah. about it for the longest time because we're reading different things. But in saying that, I suppose it does have the typical British obsession with class Mm. and that we see it with the way Sean fits in with his girlfriend, with her friends, with Ed, with his mother and, and stepfather. Whilst they might all be middle class, I suppose, or a working Mm. class to Mm. middle class, it's broken into its own little hierarchy, I suppose. Mm. And, Ed is at the very bottom of that. Yes. But Sean is not that far above uh, him. Yeah. So I think that in terms of the group dynamics and the tension and conflict, it does come from a class or elitist sort mm. of mindset. You look at the fact that David keeps mentioning that they're the uni friends, they're the, you know... Yeah. So they're, they're the more better. educated. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. yeah. So, and I think that's probably what I drew from it, mm-hmm. but... Uh, how about you, yourself, Phil? Yeah, so um, definitely that's one part of it. Mm. Um, Eggerite seems to always have two major social things going. One is portrayed by the main character and their story, and then the other is everything else you see in the background. Yes. So for World's End, I'll go backwards quickly. At World's End, it's talking about conformity and and things changing sort of like in the corporate world that you know he goes back to his hometown and all the pubs he wants to go to are have been bought up by the one chain yeah (laughs) and they've all become these generic pubs and there's no class and there's Mm. there's no uh, character character, that's the color and character and then the sort of background thing is this idea of alcoholism and yeah um how he and his mate across all of them though again it Actually, all three of them, they have a they have that degree of needing to grow up, though, as well. Oh, yeah, and that's an overarching yeah. theme as well. But then Hot Fuzz, the main sort of thing is all about, again, he, they play in small towns, but cultism and, and what it is to 
B, it's whereas um, World's End is about the big corporations killing off the small, this is about the the small being that tight knit and how everyone's th- thinking the same yeah. in their and, own and small in thing. And that one, Nicholas comes in and he's a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, that's it. He thinks he does everything best because he comes from Metro. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in Shaun of the Dead, you have this class mm. uh, rank, but it's also a lot about funnily enough for zombies, but that being a zombie within your greater world, the fact that Sean never notices no. anything, the fact that everyone's doing all their stuff in the world, you take that away and the main protagonist still doesn't see it. Now, you could say, oh, that's just Sean, but yeah. he's sort of making this statement about the zombification what of the nation. Like. Yeah. Well, when we look at Sean closely, he's in a dead-end job mm. where he's not respected by anyone. His girlfriend's given up on him. His mm. housemate is Ed, who look, is, uh, socially speaking, a loser. Yeah. Uh, is being judged by their um, you know, other housemate as Pete, well, yeah. by Pete. So, yeah, it's almost like that Sean himself has given up on life because he is just floating through it, as you said, zombified. Mm. He's not engaging. There's no life in him. Mm. And if we want to then strip it back to, if we even take the zombies out of it, the film is about how he gets that reason to live and to yeah. fight for something I feel we're back again. talking, though, about the nation as well, though, because you oh, look yeah. at that scene, bef- the first time we sort of go through the montage of Sean getting to work, there's that scene of everybody on the bus and... Or, and there's another scene as well. I think it's them waiting for the bus. They're all on their phones, you know. Yeah. All, you know, it, it is. It's that sort of everyone's sort of a bit glazed over anyway because we're all heads stuck in the phones. Or, yeah. You know, not not as you said, not engaging with the world in general. Yeah, absolutely. And we see it through Sean because he's mm. the mm. he's the eyes yeah, the to conjuring. to this world. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one that that we're following, and it's mm. true. He's not unique. Yeah. In that yeah, respect, yeah, he's no, true, you know true. one of many, and you've got this broader society yeah. that then is literally zombified. <laughs> Wayne, yes, Philip. What are your final thoughts? And score out of five. Well, I really enjoyed revisiting Shaun of the Dead. Um, I have seen Hot Fuzz as well, which mm-hmm. I did enjoy. I haven't seen um, the third in the Cornetto trilogy. <gasps> so I think it's time for me to have a bit of a binge on the trilogy <laughs> and enjoy it one more time. I loved getting my teeth sunk into Shaun of the Dead again. Um, it's incredibly clever. I love the camera work in this, the way it is edited, especially the first half. I think the, fir- the pacing of the first half is just wonderfully done. It's engaging. Simon Pegg is such an accessible hero and just a wonderful protagonist. I love that he is a little larger than life in some elements, but is just very down-to-earth in Mm. others. And I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, It's a wonderful film in terms of a romantic comedy with zombies. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this this was a lot of fun. It's cleverly written, Mm. really well made. And I can see why it's captured so many people, why it has a really strong following. It's not difficult to see why it is so loved and why it was so successful. So this is a solid four out of five for me. Beautiful. Bethany. What are your final thoughts and a score of five? Still one of my favourite movies. And I just think, I mean, I know these movies have gained, certainly gained a a following and recognition, but 
I feel like the movies, as well as the main actors, they're so underrated. Mm. Like, I always get surprised when people haven't heard of them. And, you know, when Simon Pegg's not in as many movies as I sort of feel he should be, or Nick Frost isn't as in, in as many movies as I feel they should be. So I I love this movie. It's so clever. It's so funny. It's something I can sit down and rewatch, which is saying something because I sometimes struggle to rewatch something yeah. multiple times. And I just love that it sort of celebrates the everyday hero. It doesn't have to have a huge budget on special effects. It doesn't have to have all that sort of stuff. It's just, it's plain and simple and brilliant. I'd go five out of five. I love it. Beautiful. My thoughts, um, essentially, yeah, what you guys have said. I love, as a bit of a side note, I love that the initial website for this film was actually romzom.com. <laughs> so just everything from the marketing through to the actual movie was just brilliant. Yeah, I, I grew up on this. I've got very little bad to ever say about it. It's definitely inspired what I'd like to be in my directing and filmmaking and I think it's also inspired some of my writing in the uh, past. So definitely, definitely get, got my um, inspiration, my, my love of witty uh, comedic writing as opposed to you know, other sort of genres, types. So definitely a five out of five for me. Yay. So Wayne. Yes. What are we seeing next time? Well, next time, Philip, again, one of my favourite movies from a genre that I do enjoy dabbling in. Look, admittedly, the movie itself has a soundtrack that Sean would not approve of, <laughs> but I don't care. So we're going to watch Tim Burton's Batman nice. next time. Nice. Yes. My all-time favourite superhero. Awesome. And the movie that is responsible <laughs> for so many wonderful <laughs> superheroes and reigniting them and making them taken seriously again. Nice. Well, I look forward to that. Wonderful. So until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. I've been a Bethany Hunting. And I've been a Philip Hunting. And you've, you've just, just experienced, experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Dun, 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 dun. Philip, you're dancing, cut it out. (laughs) (laughs) And see. Blooper reel. Hey! Hello! Hello! Hey! One more time? Yep. Today we're reviewing the 2004 romzom.com. I'll start that again. After his girlfriend dumps him and some. After his girlfriend dumps him and after some self wallowing. One more time. It is the first in Ripes and Pegs three flavour Cornetto trilogy. Followed by... It is the first in Rights and Pegs three-flavoured Canetto trilogy. Followed by 2007's Hot Fuzz and 2013's What the... Like at the start, um, there's a character called... Sorry, I've lost it. It's rewatchability comes from the theming. Yeah. There's the whole bit about... Um, uh, sorry. There's the whole bit about, I was going to use his actor's name.